Um, if you don't have a Bible or whatever, we'll, we'll also have it up here on the screen as well. Um, and, but just real quick, we are in, we've been towards the tail end of a series that we've been uh, kind of marching through the book of Ecclesiastes, which it's a tough book. I have to say, I have to admit, when we started this, I remember thinking, what have I done? What was I thinking? Because this has been a tough book, and if you've ever read through the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, you may have experienced what a lot of people experience and think, man, this is depressing. What is wrong with this guy? This guy is trying to, like, make us all depressed. So if you, are, you know somebody that is struggling, you know, they're depressed, having a hard time, you might not want to re- recommend the book of Ecclesiastes. But the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, written by Solomon... Um, has been questioned. Some have said, why is this even in the Bible? But one of the things we've said, and we'll say constantly here at Vintage, is that this is God's Word. Every book of the 66 books of the Bible are God's inerrant, infallible, inspired Word. And that we come to it, we can know that we're going to see truth. Now, it's not always the same kind of truth. And in the Old Testament, we just want to, I want you all to remember this phrase. In the Old Testament, we see the New Testament concealed. And in the New Testament, we see the Old Testament revealed. And uh, and it's very much that way in this book of Ecclesiastes. So one way to look at it is uh, Ecclesiastes and, and Solomon is asking questions, posing problems that only the New Testament can answer in Christ. And that's what we've seen throughout. But Solomon also is, uh, he's being a little bit harsh here. And every once in a while, we need a wake-up call. We need, some people, I think this is maybe a southern phrase, we need to have a come-to-Jesus meeting. Has anybody heard that phrase before? We're going to have a come-to-Jesus meeting. That doesn't sound good, does it? Uh, This is like getting called into the office and being challenged on something. And so, if you would... um, Y'all would look on the screen or turn your Bibles with me. We're going to be in uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 9, and then we're going to spill into chapter uh, 10. So here's the word of God. Again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For a man does not know his time. Like fish that are taken in an evil net, like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of men are snared with evil time, then suddenly falls upon them. I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun. It seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it. And the building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man, and he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Dead flies make the perfumer's oil give off stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart 
inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool's fool walks on the road, he lacks sense. And he says to everyone that he is a fool. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay a great offense to rest. And there is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. And I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stone is hurt by them, and he who spits logs, splits logs, excuse me, is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. And the beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be. And who can tell him what will be after him? The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would speak to us through your word this morning. Lord, I pray that... um, uh, that you would help, give us ears to hear and, um, and help us to move forward from here doing and receiving what you've done in your word for us. And so we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So Solomon is giving us this series of wake-up calls. And we said a wake-up call is a person or thing that causes people to become fully alert to an unsatisfactory situation and take act, action to remedy it. So a wake-up call is a word or something that happens, somebody coming to you and, and, and making it known to you that there is a problem that needs to be changed. And we've seen all kinds of, of these wake-up calls. We're on part uh, nine at this point. So we've seen eight others, and some of them have been pretty direct and straightforward and hopefully have really caused us to reevaluate and think through our lives. Well, this morning, the wake-up call from Solomon is, Time to wise up. Time to wise up. You know, there was a, um, a dean of a prestigious educational university. And one, one day during a board meeting, this angelic genie-like figure appears in the doorway, all glowing and shining, and, come, and looks right at this dean and all his board members all around him at a meeting and says, because of your ex- excellent works, and your, your achievements in this world, I bestow upon you one wish, whatever you might want. It could be long life, wealth, anything that you want. And the dean pauses and thinks for a moment. He says, you know what I want? I want infinite wisdom. And the, and the this genie figure, whatever, waves a wand or something over him and some sparkles fly or something like that. And he's bestowed with infinite wisdom. And there he is sitting there and he's glowing. There's like this radiant glow coming off of him. And all the board members are sitting there and waiting to see what's going to happen. And one of them says, well, and he looks back at them and says, I should have taken the money. 
We, we live in a, in a culture that really doesn't value wisdom, do we? I mean, think about it. We, live in a, uh, we love information, information overload. We love opinions, excess, excess, excess. Words, 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 words. Tweets, likes, you know, retweets of tweets that have been tweeted a thousand times, right? And, and you know, and it's okay because a lot of times they'll have a pretty picture behind it. But, I mean, our culture at large really doesn't value wisdom. We don't talk about it. You know, we, we send our kids to school. We want them to get their knowledge, supposedly, and their piece of paper so that they can get a job. But the idea of getting genuine wisdom is lost on us very often. And so, Solomon, just it was the same in his day. I don't think it's ever been any different, really. It's, it's a, a world in which wisdom is short and words are many. And he wants us, as a wake-up call, to say, you need some wisdom. You need to grow in wisdom. Now, he's said that wisdom is folly, just by his little parenthesis here. He said that wisdom is folly, but he does, uh, in other words, if, if that's all you're going for is wisdom and worldly wisdom and all this, that, and the other, and you forget what's most important, that is itself folly. But he said over and over again that wisdom is, is essential and important and much better than being a fool. And so, with regards to wisdom, Solomon wants us to understand First, the results of wisdom and where it comes from, the source of wisdom. He wants to see the benefit of having wisdom and then how to get it. Where does it come from? And then to do this, though, if you've, as you might have seen when we read, he's going to chronicle kind of the results of being a fool and where this, the fool might receive his information and so, um, or where they might not receive their information. And so uh, we're going to look at this passage. Now, real quick, we've talked a little bit about I hate to do this stuff, but just so you guys will kind of enlighten you guys. So like last week we saw that um, unlike an English paragraph, the main idea of an English paragraph is a lot of times the first sentence, right? And then you support those ideas afterwards or whatever. Well, very often in Hebrew language, that, that central idea might actually be in the center of the paragraph. Well, today what he's doing is what we call parallelism. And that's when he will say an idea. Repeat, or we'll follow it by another idea. We'll repeat that idea and then so on. So you're going to see us kind of jump through this passage back and forth a little bit. So if you're wondering, like, what is Russell doing there? That's why, okay? To get at the heart of what he's getting at. So let's look at this first, this first thing he wants us to see is the results of wisdom. Wisdom defined. And what Solomon does here, overall, just give you an idea, is that he, he's going to point out the fact it is a lot easier to be foolish than it is to be wise. It's like working out. Or, or it's like losing weight or gaining. It's easier to gain weight and lose muscle than it is to lose the weight and gain muscle, right? That's just, it's a natural thing in life and in the world. And it's the same way in the world of wisdom and foolishness. It's easier to be an idiot than it is to be wise. It's just a thing, you know? I mean, we, you don't know anything about that. So... So if you just coast, the reality is you may be coasting right into foolishness. And then you're going to get to that. Okay? And so he wants us to see, though, that um, uh, foolishness 
has some potentially disastrous results. Okay? Um, so, just look at, so he says this in verse 1 of chapter 10. Excuse me. He says, I don't know if this should be on there, right? Okay, dead flies make a perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. So he's saying a little bit of foolishness can take a whole bunch of wisdom and mess it all up. And so it doesn't take much to, to really mess it up. Um, and then he goes on to say um, that if you have wisdom, it'll incline your heart to the right way. But if you have a fool's heart, it's going to take you the wrong way. And, and here's the thing is that you can see a fool. A fool is obvious and, and it's easy to see who he is. Okay? But then you down to verse 8 with me. He, he kind of begins to illustrate the results of of being a fool and the results of being of this folly this folly that can occur even with a little bit of it okay now here i want y'all to stop here because uh this is i hate to have to say this because maybe it's because the way we read sometimes we miss things but i think this is supposed to be funny i think this is one of those places where you get humor in the bible okay so y'all kind of help me read it this way right so look at um i'm in verse eight he says okay he who digs a pit will fall into it Right, if you're stupid and you dig a pit and you forget that you for, that you've dug the pit and you happen to walk there again, you might fall into it. You see it, okay? And he goes on to say, uh, "A serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall." And what this uh, most are saying here is what think he's saying is say either this, it's a wall or a hedge. And if it's a wall, snakes in the Middle East tend to like to crawl into nice little warm snug holes. And so if you put your hand in the hole in the wall, you might get bit by a snake. Or if, or if it might be in a hedge, if you start, and that might be a place where snakes are as well. So, if I'm, so in other words, let's put this in like North Florida, South Georgia scenario here. If you put your hand in a snake hole, you might get bit by a snake, right? It's kind of obvious here. Okay, uh, so on. All right, uh, and like, I don't, you know, you don't, you wouldn't want to be like digging around behind like boxes in your garage and stuff. With, you know, you might get bit by a spider or something. Same kind of thing. Okay. Um, where was I? Verse eight. Okay. He who quarries stones might be hurt by them. Again, same kind of thing. I mean, you almost imagine, you know, out there hitting stones and it's like falling on his head at the same time. And then, a, uh, where was I? Um, and he who splits logs are endangered by them. And here's a picture. Maybe you're out in the woods, chopping down a tree. It might fall on you if, if you're a fool. And he's saying foolishness um, can come, and it can become, even when we're, you know, in doing normal, natural things. Uh, wisdom, and so here's the thing. Wisdom understands that there's natural dangers, there's dangers in this world, and so we need to act and live in wisdom accordingly. And work to make sure that we don't do these silly, stupid things. Okay, and then look at verse 10 with me. He says, if the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must do more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. So this would be like uh, if, you, if you were a, a lumberjack and, and you were to go out into the woods, you wouldn't take a butter knife. Because it's going to take you a long time to get the job done. 
Now, I like to think about this on the flip side as well, because this is like not taking enough tool to the job. So it's wise to take enough tool, to take enough and be smart in, in terms of your work or whatever. But I, I can't help it. I don't, remember the show with, uh, was it Tim Allen? Tool, was it Tool Time or something like that? And he was notorious for taking way too much tool, right? <laughs> You're like, you know, to take a giant chainsaw to, you know, drill a little hole or something like that. So it's kind of the flip side of that. So, you know, wisdom... Okay, understands the dangers and uncertainties of life, but also wisdom applies knowledge skillfully, in a skillful way. In other words, work right, use the right tools. Okay, and then, verse 11, we see him say, If the serpent bites before it's charmed, there is it no advantage to the charmer. And this is one of those, duh. So if you're a snake charmer, and the snake bites you before you charm it, you're dead, is no benefit to you. You see it? And so in other words, so if you're a snake charmer, you might not want to get bit before you start charming your deadly snake or whatever, okay? It's kind of a rule of thumb here. Um, and so here's the thing about this is that wisdom, unlike folly, applies, with, applies knowledge at the right timing. So you know, if you haven't charmed the snake, he might bite you, and so on. And so that's where we get here. All right, verse, then verses 12 through 15, he says, The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk evil madness. The fool multiplies words, though no man knows what, what is to be, and no one can tell him what will be after him. The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. And this is back, back to what I just started with. Fools talk, talk, talk. They never really follow up with action. And so he's saying his picture of a, a fool here is that, um, that it's just words added, words added. So, and if it's not just words multiplied upon words, it's words that hurt. And so on. In other words, it's, it's, it's knowledge and information poorly applied. Knowledge and information poorly applied. You, you follow what I'm saying there? And so in other words, it's one thing for me to know something. It's another for me to use that in a bad way or a good way. And, and so it's one of those, it's like, remember, this, remember, the, remember Spider-Man with much... You know, power gives you much responsibility. And that's, that is a real danger in our world today. Because like we've said throughout this series, we live in a time and in a period of world in which uh, information and knowledge has never been easier to access and get. All you have to do is go hit Google or one of the other search engines and you have more information than you could ever do anything with. And that's power in a lot of ways. And it can be really dangerous. So, so what he's done here then, he's kind of shown us how foolishness and folly can be a really big problem. So let me give you all a basic definition then of what wisdom is. Because there's maybe sometimes confusion about wisdom. Okay? Wisdom is taking the right knowledge at the right time and using it in the right way. Let me say that again. 
Wisdom is taking the right knowledge, the right time, in the right way. And you know how easy it is to mess that up? I, I, I don't know about you guys. I have 2020 hindsight wisdom. Dang it, I should have said this at that time. Or, you know what I'm saying? Or, dang it, why did I say that? What was I thinking? You ever do that? Anybody ever do that? So I have like 2020 hindsight wisdom. I'm like, oh, I should have done that. I should have said that, at, and I shouldn't have said it then. And so wisdom is hard. Isn't it hard to get to? It's hard to get. It's hard to keep, and so on. And, and hopefully, you know, in a kind of weird Hebraic poetic way, he shows us that knowledge, and, I mean, wisdom is tough to get to. Um, and so, um, how do we get wisdom? Where does it come from? How, where do we seek it? And so, let's now look at, secondly, the source of wisdom. Now, he's, he, back in chapter uh, 9, he gives a little story. And this story is really, I think, helpful to help us understand that it's easy to miss and easy to overlook good, reliable sources of wisdom. So let's read it again. I'm going to start in verse 13. Sit there with me. This is chapter 9. I've seen also this example of wisdom under the sun. And it seemed great to me. So let's see. He's seen this. He's got, given us an example. And it seems important to him. And this is what Solomon. But that most would say, because of God's gift of wisdom, was the wisest man that ever lived. And so when he says, here's a good example, and it's pretty important. So listen, put your listening ears on for a minute, okay? okay? There was a city, a little city with few men in it. So you can see the picture. Small little town, not very many men in it. And he says, a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. And so see the picture, little city, and not very many men in it to defend it. And here comes this king with a great army and uh, begins to siege the city. Okay? All right. And there was found in it a poor wise man, and here by his wisdom delivered the city. Now, this is where translations and debates start in this passage. Because uh, this translation and some others translate this um, by his wisdom. he delivered the city. But this can very easily, and I think should be translated, by his, deliver, by his wisdom, the city could have been or might have been delivered. Okay? And, okay? Yet, no one remembered that poor man. Y'all see this now? The poor wise man. And by his wisdom, uh, excuse me, and no one remembered the poor man. But I say wisdom is better than might. Though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his wisdom words are not heard. So, here's a picture. Little town, not very many men in it. Being besieged by a huge army. Powerful kingdom. And there's in the city one poor wise man. And by his wisdom, he could have potentially figured out a way 
to, to save them. And nobody recognized him. Because he was poor, maybe, or whatever. And he's saying that because nobody remembered him, the city basically wasn't saved. And that's why he says, but I say, wisdom is better than might, and the, the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are not heard. Okay, the words of the wise, heard and quiet, are better than the shouting of the rulers among fools. Wisdom is better than the weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. And here's the thing. How easy it is for us to miss where wisdom and knowledge, true knowledge and, and good wisdom can come from. We sometimes just blow it off. What we like to think, we think wisdom and, and all this stuff comes from bigger things, flashier things. You know, and it's like this guy's flashy, he's got money, or he's got a lot of followers on Twitter or Instagram, or all this, that, and the other, or he's really got a good social media platform, or whatever. We think, oh, this guy might know what he's doing. You know, and they sell a few books, and their faces on the book. You think, oh, he might know what he's talking about. And what, what Solomon is saying here is, not always. Sometimes it's that poor little old man that nobody wants to pay attention to. He may know, what, where, he may have wisdom that you wouldn't even understand. Okay? And, and then verses, chapter, you jump down to verse, uh, chapter 10, verse 5, you see, he kind of reflips this whole thing again. He says, there was an evil that I seen under the sun, as it were, an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. And I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. In other words, what he's saying is, just because somebody has a certain position or a certain um, uh, wealth or a certain class or something like that does not mean they are wise. Your position, your achievements, your, your status in life, doesn't make you wise. He's saying there are plenty of foolish people in power. We've talked about that. Not just foolish, maybe wicked at times as well. And how we've talked about how to deal with that. What's the, what would be the wise way of, of navigating when your rulers are foolish? I won't name names anytime right now. But we, but this idea that if it's got a slick package, a lot of followers, those who call see him, ooh, maybe his words are important. Maybe he has real wisdom. And what Solomon's saying is, nope. And I can't help but Solomon saying, you know, th- thinking ahead to the New Testament, because very often. The source of wisdom isn't always what we think. Look with me in First uh, Corinthians chapter one. It says, "Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly that we preach to save those who believe." Okay, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. 
And then jump down to verse 27. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And he chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And so, what we think is wisdom... What we think is where wisdom should be coming from. The Bible says no. Where has the world's wisdom taken us? Where has it pointed us? If anything, it has pointed us away from God. And he's saying we need genuine, true wisdom. And so how do we get that? How do we get true wisdom? This is a practical list. You're going to, it's going to come up here on the screen, okay? So first of all, we need to pray and seek God's wisdom. James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. As a matter of fact, Solomon himself says in Proverbs 9.10, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So, but we need to pray and say, God, I need your wisdom. Secondly, we need to know God's word. Wisdom is found in God's revealed word. If, it, if wisdom comes from God, he's given us his word. And so we need to apply ourselves in the study and meditation of God's word. Now, here's where I hear people say, well, I'm not a reader. How many Facebook posts did you read today? That long one, too. Or, I'm not a, you know, I'm not a you know, reader or whatever. Yes, you are. Every, but here's the thing. Okay, say you're not a reader. How many? I got like three versions of apps on my, my phone. I can give you all some, some of these links that um, read it to you. The one that we shared with you guys before, it was the, um, the uh, what, was it, what was it called? Yeah, we did the Essential 100, but the app is um, version. It's just Bible on there. It reads it to you. And I got one that's really cool. It's called Streetlights, and it's uh, produced by a ministry, you know, trying to reach um, kids kind of in the inner city or whatever. And it plays like urban hip-hop beats while it's reading scripture. It is awesome. I love it. No, I'm serious. It's really cool. And it's read really well and so on. They've only done like parts of the New Testament so far. It reads it to you. Come on. Anyway, moving on. But we need to study. Okay. Secondly, um, we need to read and learn as much as possible. In other words, so yes, we want faithful Bible study and those kind of things. But regular reading of great books on theology and biblical interpretation. Books that distill wisdom um, of the greatest students of the world over the last you know, 2,000 years or more. Whatever. And so, in other words, we need, to be, we need to be learning the great wisdom and knowledge that has come from the church. So, we need to pick up some old dead guys on occasion. Not physically, you know what I mean, what they wrote. Okay, we don't want that, that would be gross. All right? Next is, we need to be humble enough to learn from others. And this is where, where that story he gave of that, this, you know, this little town... And there's not very many men, and there's being seized. They should have been humble enough to say, "Well, maybe this old poor guy knows something that we don't." 
Do y'all know Bill Nye, the science guy? You know him? Anybody like him? He's cool, right? He said this, everyone you meet knows something you don't. So you might want to listen to him every once in a while. But here's the thing, the truly wise can learn and grow from anyone and anything. But here's a problem. Christians have two extremes. That's what I've seen over the years. Okay? Christians have had two extremes. Okay? One is that um, we are super spiritual. And so we avoid any kind of, any potential, what we might consider human worldly wisdom. So we are just going dig, to dig in and that's, we're just gonna, that's all we're going to do. You know what happens with those groups usually? Like cults <laughs> or really bad stuff because they're unwilling to look around them. And that's one extreme, okay, um, that we would, and that we would even reject the idea of human re- reason and wisdom. Um, second, the other extreme is that we would rely entirely on human wisdom and reason, basically virtually ignoring the Bible or just giving it lip service. Okay, now, the proper use of human wisdom is to weigh every idea and thought through the lens of Scripture. But we need to know and we need to explore and and engage ideas in our culture, in our world, and so on. And we might learn and grow from them as well. And the thing is, the Bible was not written to address, address every issue. I'm glad my doctor does not use the Bible to treat me. I'm just telling you, I want him to be, I'd love for him to know the Bible and to weigh thoughts and wisdom through the lens of scripture. But the Bible is not a medical book and so on. And so the Bible was intended to reveal God's way of salvation for us. It is not a science book. It is God's revelation, special revelation to us that we might know him and be in relationship with him. All right, so this means we can learn and know things outside of the Bible. Again, we weigh those ideas and those thoughts with Scripture, but we weigh them uh, and so on. Okay? Then lastly, be able to learn from your mistakes and failings. If you dig a hole and you fall into it, get out. Don't do it again kind of thing. I... um. Had an interaction with my um, middle son, Knox. He is uh, 10 years old now. And uh, I think it was Saturday. He really got emotional and went and showed us his homework papers and said, Look, I've, I bombed this test. I don't know what happened. I don't remember writing these the way I wrote them. I think it was like put sequence in order, like a Bible sequence or something. He was so upset. He was like, I made an F. And my grades are going to show an F. And he was really, really upset. And I felt for him, you know. It's like one of those moments where you're like, I know what that feels like. You know, like even he, he knows he knew the material, whatever. But something happened, and, and it came out, and it turned out not to work out his way. And, and so I'm trying to help him. I'm like, you know, Knox, listen. It's okay to fail sometimes. It's actually good for us to fail sometimes. 
But the thing is, is we need to be, we need to, be able to set our pride aside and be humble enough to learn from our pride. And like, it was cool is like later that um, that evening we watched the the movie um, Darkest Hour, which is about um, uh, Winston Churchill and how he rallied the uh, English people eventually into standing against Hitler or whatever. But what's funny about um, this movie, which I thought was great, was like they're trying to paint Winston Churchill out to be kind of a mess. And he, he was a mess of a guy. And he had one failing after another. And he just happened to get kind of ushered into being the prime minister because he was like the least contentious person he was like the one guy that each party would be like, okay, we'll take him, you know. And so here's this guy that has had all this failure and all these different things happen to him. You know, he drinks heavy, you know, and, and he's just a big mess. Um, and here he is now at the time, the prime minister of England, and Hitler is taking over Europe. And, and there was a quote not in the movie, actually, but it's an actual quote of Winston Churchill. He said this, success is not final. Failure is not fatal. It is the courage to continue that counts. And let me tell you, if anybody just illustrates his own quote the way his life does, he did. Because in the midst of failure, like Dunkirk and other situations, he kept going. He kept pressing. He kept pressing. And he was humble enough to learn from his failures. But here's the cool thing, guys. Here's the thing. The gospel, the good news that we are given and, and the truth that we are given about Jesus Christ, about him dying and, and being raised for our salvation, we can be humble enough to know that we are not wise. We need to learn. And we need to uh, have the ability to learn from anyone or anything, even our failures. So in other words, the gospel declares to us you're not okay. You don't have it together. You, in fact, are a sinner. And because you are a sinner, and because you rebel against God, this source of wisdom itself, you, by nature, are a fool. Because when we read this stuff, we say, ah, that guy's a fool. How would, he, how would he dig a hole and jump into it? But we do. I dig holes and jump into them all the time. It's just like... You know, will they say the definition of insanity to do the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result? Then why do we keep doing it? I mean, all of us dig our holes and we jump into them. It might be finances, it might be relationships, it might be work, it might be whatever. And we just seem to like run into the same walls and things over and over and over again. And that is because we're told in the Bible there's a reason. Sin is the ultimate foolishness to, to turn away from the source of wisdom, the source of life, and to try to go it alone, like my, be like a two-year-old saying, I got this. Like one of our, I think it was our youngest, got mad at us one time. He's like, I'm running away. And he packed some toys in a backpack and started heading out the door, and we're like, this is not going to go well. It's not going to ha- this is not going to have a good end. You know, of course, he, he figured that out by the driveway, I think. But the, the good news of the gospel is a relief. It says, you are broken, you are messed up, you're a fool. Stop pretending and accept it and accept his grace and forgiveness. And then you come to him for the grace. 
So here's another idea here. I'm going to conclude with this. C.S. Lewis said this. The next best thing to being wise oneself is to live in a circle of those who are. So if you ain't wise, find some wise people and hang out with them. At least they'll help you out. Right? <laughs> That's the next best thing. But here's the thing. If this is true, then we would say living in a regular relationship with the wisest person that has ever lived would be the way to wisdom, right? So if you're not smart, the smart thing to do would be to hang out with the smartest person you know. And that's what C.S. Lewis is pointing to. But who is the wisest? Jesus said, one who is wiser than Solomon is here. Speaking of himself. And and here's the offer of the gospel. The beauty of the gospel is that that the wisest person in the world would go and live a life we could never live, die death we perfectly deserve, so that we can hang out with and be in relationship with the wisest person that ever was. God himself. And Jesus himself, the essence of wisdom, says, come, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Let me translate that from our passage. All you who are weary from jumping into holes, falling into holes, getting bit by snakes, trees and rocks falling on you. Like a kind of comedy parody or something here. All you who are tired of running into the same wall. He says, come to me and learn from me. Why? Because I am meek and humble. When Jesus talks about that passage, he is talking about coming to him for wisdom. In that chapter in Matthew. Come to me, you who are weary. You who are foolish. You who have messed up. Who screwed it all up. Come to me and receive wisdom and grace from me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And and we thank you for this picture of wisdom. And Lord, I pray you would help us to wise up. Help us to realize we are fools. And we need your wisdom. And Lord, so we thank you that in your son Jesus, we are given clear and perfect, unmitigated access to come into your presence and receive your grace and wisdom for our lives, Lord. And so, Lord, help us to do that. Lord, help us to know your word, um, to learn and grow from others, and particularly from our failings and our brokenness. And Lord, we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So our custom, we